Well, welcome everyone. I'm so glad you're here today. For those of you who are joining us online, thank you so much for being with us. Um, for those of you who are new, I see a few new faces here. Uh, my name is Matthew Jonathan Jansen. I am the lead pastor along with my beautiful wife, Tanya Sheree Jansen, here at Life Church. And we are so grateful, uh, again, as we've always said, to be able to serve in this way. This church belongs to Jesus. We are serving him. And we're so grateful, again, to be able to join with the body of Christ, with the fellowship of believers, and encourage each other in the Lord. And that's what we're here to do on a Sunday morning. Amen? And so if you haven't been with us, uh, we've been going through a little bit of a series here to kick off the year. And the series is called A Walk with Jesus. And just, for, just to kind of bring you up to speed, the concept came because um, uh, back in the late 2023, I attended a funeral of, of a very close uncle of ours, somebody that was really close to us, somebody that was a character that was a big part of my life. And we were, we were having, it was a, it was a good funeral because we were having good memories and we were laughing and we were telling stories and we were crying and it was, it was, it was all the things and we were remembering this, this, this man that, uh, that was a big part of all of our lives. And one of the memories that I had of him was the cologne that he would wear. And he was a truck driver, and I remember driving up to Vernon from Chilliwack with him as a young boy, and I'd get out of his truck, and I'd smell my coat, and it would smell like Uncle Detlef. And I thought to myself, man, wouldn't it be so cool to say that I've been so close to Jesus that people would say, what's that smell? And it's the fragrance of Jesus that I carry everywhere that I go. And I thought about this idea of how can we experience Jesus in a real way? Because ultimately, church, what we are here to do is care for and bring people to him. And so I thought to myself, well, how can, how can we do that? And so what we've been doing over the last four, three Sundays is talking through a different sense that we have of the five senses and how it connects to Jesus. And we started out by talking about the smell and the fragrance. Then we talked about the sound of his voice. And what does Jesus sound like? Jesus sounds like what he wrote, Right? And then, and then we talked about, um, last week, the touch. We talked about that faith was actually the touch that brought the change. And we talked about faith being the touch point uh, of Jesus. And today, we're going to talk about taste. Now, this is something that's very close to my heart. We're going to get into this in just a second. Psalm chapter 34, verse 8 says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Amen. But before we dive into that, we've been kind of building this sermon series off of an idea from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. And he says this, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted as loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. The big idea here, church, is that we may know him. Why? Because if we know him, we can, we can walk in assurance. If we know him, we can have confidence in him. If we know him, we can represent him to the world around us. Oh, yeah, I know him. I know him. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? And this morning, we're going to be talking about this from the context of taste. Um, and as we get there, we're going to read some scriptures. But before we do that, why don't we just pray, and then we'll dive into it. 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you that your word is living and active. God, that it will accomplish what it is set out to do, and it will not return void. And I pray this morning, Lord God, as, as the word of God comes out of my mouth, Lord Jesus, it would plant good seeds in the hearts of everyone listening. I pray, Lord God, that you would do a deep work in all of us, Lord Jesus, and that we would encounter your presence today, Lord God, as we hear your word, Lord Jesus. Speak through me this morning, I pray in your holy name. I get out of the way, and I say, God, do whatever you want to do. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Well, the subject of taste is something that is very near and dear to my heart. Be prepared if you ever travel anywhere and I find out about it for this question to come your way. What was the best meal that you had on your trip? Because I am a self-confessing foodie. I love trying new things. Whenever I travel anywhere, the first thing I'm doing, I don't know about you, is I'm Googling all the cool restaurants in the area. I have these memories of food in my mind that kind of trigger uh, experiences that I've had. And, and, you know, some of them include, I remember um, down in, I was, I was an intern down at the City Church in Seattle, Washington, and in Kirkland, the place, there's a little place that was on the back of the 7-Eleven. And how do we know that all the good food places are typically holes in the wall? You know what I'm talking about? Those ones you're kind of sketched out about going into, but then you go and you're like, oh, man, I'm so glad I did. And there was this little place behind the 7-Eleven, I remember it was called Nick's Grill. And it was this little hallway right behind a 7-Eleven. And you'd go into it, and there was this guy in there. He'd yell at you when you came in, this old Greek man. And he'd be like, what do you want? And, and you'd walk up to the desk, and I want your, your grilled chicken burrito. And he made this grilled chicken burrito. He would, I'm my mouth's watering already, my goodness. He would get the chicken in there. It was these whole pieces of chicken breast that were in there. And then he would get the rice in there with some cheese, and he would melt it all in there. And then some pico de gallo in there. And he would roll that whole thing up. Oh, my. Why am I doing this to myself? Why am I doing this to you? And, and, and I just remember just like sitting there as a young, poor uh, intern that was, you know, working any job I could find, eating these burritos and just being like, oh, my word, this is incredible. You know, these memories. I remember there's memories about food that connect to different people in my life. I remember um, my grandma we, it was always connected to food. We would always go over to her house, and she would make us food. And oftentimes it was, uh, we're, we're Mennonite by background, and so oftentimes it was borscht. We'd have this, anybody ever heard of borscht before? There's all sorts of, like borscht is kind of, I think what I've learned is that borscht is just kind of any type of soup. <laughs> but, but in this case, often it was tomato-based, and it was, it was so tasty, and she would make it, and then she would make her own little buns, and they were like these special buns that she would make, and we'd put butter on them and dip them in the borscht, and, and then afterwards, Grandpa would pull out his teapot, and he'd make a big thing of tea with some, with some sugar in it, and it was always so tasty. And I remember these memories, I can remember in connection with my grandma. Um, I have memories of, of um, the food connected to uh, culture, I remember being in the Ukraine on a missions trip, and I remember uh, driving into this area in this field, and we stopped in the middle of this field, and we all had to get out, and we had to walk down this, like, cow pasture, and then cross this little, like, tiny bridge to get over this kind of, like, creek that was coming through, and we walked over to this little country church in the middle of nowhere, and they were having a baptismal service, and I remember being there and watching all these people get baptized, and then they invited us back into the church, and the church fed us a feast that night to celebrate us coming and being a part of this event. And I remember, you know, cheese blitzes and, and uh, borscht because we're in Ukraine. And, and it was, it was, I just remember these memories are connected to food so often. Um, there's multiple examples of Jesus also uh, sharing eating. And, and, and he also even divulged some of the menu. In, in Luke chapter 24, verse 40 and 43, it says that he ate 
broiled fish after his resurrection. In Luke 7.36, it said he dined with the Pharisees. In Luke, in John chapter 12, verse 2, it says he was eating with some friends, that his friends Mary and Martha prepared this special meal in, 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 um, in honor of Lazarus, his other friend, and they all joined together and they gathered around the table and they had food together. Jesus, um, when he resurrected from the dead, the Bible tells us that he was on the seashore and he cooked some fish over charcoal and had breakfast with his disciples. Jesus also loved food. In fact, so much so that there was a critique of him by his, his, his critics uh, that said that he, on the other hand, is feasts and drinks, and he is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of ta- tax collectors and other sinners. Jesus enjoyed a good meal. He enjoyed it. And there's many stories that attach to Jesus that are surrounded by food. And today we're going to talk about one of those stories and how it connects to us today. And the story is found, we're going to start in the book of John. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to tease you with this, okay? So I'm going to move forward from my notes, and we're going to read something first, and then we'll come back and we'll read this, okay? Okay, you guys ready? So John chapter 6, verse 53 to 57. We're going to read this first, and then we'll come back to my text, which is John 6, 24. So John chapter 6, verse 53 And Jesus is speaking to a group of followers, people that have come to follow him, as well as his disciples. And then Jesus said to them, this is what he said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. Have a nice day. Yeah. Probably one of the most controversial, possibly confusing passages that I've read of Jesus. But we're going to unpack it today. We're going to attempt to unpack it. You guys with me? See where we can go with this? Okay, let's go back now, and let's read the first part of this in in John chapter 6, and then I'm going to give you guys the context and the story behind the words. And then I believe that God has something to say to us today. Okay, you guys with me? Okay, we're going to read a lot of scriptures, so hang with me, okay? John chapter 6, verse 24. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food um, which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore, they said to him, Well, what sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our father ate manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives, the, gives life to the world. 
Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, but he who believes in me shall never thirst. Okay, what's going on here? Why are they having this conversation? If you take your Bible and you rewind back a few passages, there's a very famous story that is told. And it's a story about Jesus and his disciples going out into the wilderness and people finding out where he was and following him to that place. And the Bible tells us that the word of mouth got around and people began to rush out to where Jesus was until there were thousands of people that were out to hear what Jesus had to say. Now the Bible tells us that they came because they had heard about the miracles that Jesus was doing. So thousands of people, you can picture it, there's, there's kind of organized chaos as Jesus is there and he, he's, he's talking to people and he's teaching and he, he's doing what Jesus does and he's being compassionate on the masses. And as he's speaking, he stops and, and, and the people are milling about and, and he looks at his disciple Philip to test him the Bible tells us, and he says, hey, Philip, where are we going to get some bread to feed these people? And the Bible says he said this to test him because he already knew what he was going to do. And he says, Philip, where are we going to get some bread? And, and Philip's like, Master, we could work for months and not have enough money to feed these people. This is crazy. Now, one of his other disciples, Andrew, the brother of Peter, comes to Jesus, and he says, look, I found, I found a little bit here. This is all I've got. And he finds a boy in the crowd that has five loaves and two fish. You all know the story, right? He's got five loaves and two fish. And he says, I don't think this is going to be a much help, but this is what I've got. And the Bible tells us that Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, and he prayed, he gathered the people, organized them, sat them down on the hillside. And the Bible tells us that that day there was 5,000 men. So it's likely that there could have been twice, if not three times as many people with women and children there as well. And so he's got 5,000 men that are sitting there on the hillside, and he takes these loaves and these bread, and he blesses them, offers them up to God, and then he begins to break the loaves. And he begins to break the loaves. And the disciples must have been like, what are you doing, God? Jesus, what are you doing? And he just keeps breaking, and he keeps breaking, and he keeps breaking until there's a basket load. And then he keeps going, and there's another basket full. And then there's another basket full. He's like, guys, what are you doing? Take, take it out to the people. And so they start going out with the baskets, and here, here you go, and passing it around, and all the people are getting this food, and they're astonished, and they're starting to catch on, and there's like this murmur that's starting to grow amongst the people as the word's like, what's going on? And he, he only had five loaves. He only had two fish. And look, now there's this basket of food that's coming across, and this tastes amazing. And oh my goodness. And everybody's eating it, and they're loving it, and they're like, this is a moment with Jesus. And they're recognizing something. There's something supernatural here. And I'm sure the thought is going through their minds. Oh, man, if we follow this guy, we never have to worry about going hungry. You know those bills that we were worried about before? We don't need to worry about that. Look at what this guy can do. This is incredible. Look what he can do for us. You think, you know what, you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of Moses. You remember that story about Moses, that he fed the people manna? Oh, this must be, this could be the Messiah. This could be the prophet that we've been waiting for. And so there's this murmur that's starting to rise up among the people. And, and Jesus feeds 5,000 people, maybe 15,000 people. We're not sure, but we know that there was 5,000 men there. So this is the context. Jesus does this. And then he sends the disciples away. They go across the, the, the Sea of Galilee. He walks on the water. That's just another side story. We'll get to that some other time. Not a big deal. It's just what Jesus does. Walks on the water, gets across. 
And that's the context. So now these people go out and they start telling all their friends, hey, Jesus just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. This is incredible. We should follow this guy. We will never be hungry again. This is incredible. Let's go after it. Come on. So they come to the, to the water's edge, and they realize that the disciples have left, and Jesus is also not there. And they're like, where'd he go? Well, maybe he's across the sea. So they hop in their boats. They cross over, and they're chasing after him to get some of this miracle, to get some of this bread, this sustenance. And that is the context of what we read here as they come across, and they come to Jesus, and they say, hey, can you, can you give us some more of that bread? Hey, watch this. This is really cool. Watch. He's going like, to take it, and he's going he's gonna, to like, just rip it off, and then we're just going to have lots of bread, and we're going to be full, and it's going to be amazing. Hey, watch this, buddy. Watch. And the other guy's like, yeah, right. I, I don't really believe this. He's like, hey, do, 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 do you just do your thing, Jesus? Just do your bread thing, okay? <laughs> like, this is really cool. You got to see. This is, yeah. And Jesus looks at him and says, no, no, no. You've come to me for bread that perishes, but you're missing the most important part. See, it's not about what I can give you. It's not about the bread that I can pass on to you today to sustain your soul. Because if I give you bread, you're still going to perish. You're still going to pass away. But there is something greater in your midst right now that you are missing. And in truth and in compassion and in power and in authority, Jesus tells them, the thing that you're missing is me. See, you thought what you were after was bread. You thought what you were after was some sustenance, something to to fill you up, to sustain you, to to satisfy you today. But what I want to offer you is something that's going to give you life for eternity. And it is me. And then Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And he unpacks this idea um, I, there's a great quote about this, this, this passage I read in, in a book that I was reading this week. It says this, in John uh, 6.53, is simply saying that just as one must consume or partake of physical food to sustain physical life, so one must appropriate Christ to have spiritual life. By placing faith in the crucified Christ, we appropriate him in his work of salvation. By appropriate, I mean we must spiritually lay a hold of Christ by trusting in him for salvation. Faith is the operative word when it comes to appropriating Christ. This is from a book called What Did Jesus Mean by Rod Rhodes. And so Jesus, I think, gives his little key here to this passage because the disciples are obviously confused. They are completely overdone. Now, that being said, confused, maybe. I I read one one, um, commentary that said that the the, the mind of that day, the, the, the mind of that time, might have understood this a little bit differently because in those days, it was common to go into a pagan temple, for instance, or any temple, really, and to sacrifice an animal to their gods, whether that be God Jehovah or God Little G. And they would sacrifice the animal. Uh, the priest would get a portion of it. And then actually uh, there was another portion that they were able to keep and feast on with a group of people. And so what they believed is when they fe- feasted on the, on the portion that they had received, that God actually inhabited that food. And they would leave with the power of that God if they were worshiping the God of of, of prosperity, then they would be prosperous. If they were worshiping the God of courage, then they would be courageous. And so this idea of ingesting something to receive something was not a new idea to them. This would have been something that the, the mind of that day might have understood. But Jesus unpacks it this way. He says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. 
The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. I love this statement from William Barclay. The bread of God was he who came down from heaven and gave man not simply satisfaction from physical hunger, but life. Jesus was claiming that the only real satisfaction was in him. Did you catch that? Jesus was saying, you're going after physical bread. You're going after things that you know. You're going after something that you look for every single day, but you're missing the most important thing, which is me, which is Jesus. And again, speaking about this, he says, it's the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. You're thinking with your natural mind. What do I need to sustain me? What do I need to fulfill me? And he says, you need to think in the spirit. Because the life, sorry, it says here, pardon me, it is the spirit who gives life. And the words that I speak are spirit and they are life. And it goes on to say in John chapter 6, 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. At the beginning of the passage, he says this, Jesus says this, um, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Okay, now let's, let's bring this home a little bit. How often do we pursue Jesus because of the things that we think that he can give us. How often do we go after him because of the natural things that we feel that we need? Here's the big idea that I want you to carry with you today. Seek the giver, not the gift. Seek the giver, not the the gift. These people were coming to Jesus because he had filled them with natural food, and they were missing the spiritual. They were missing the deeper thing that was happening, and they were missing the fact that the Messiah and Savior of the world was right in front of them. And rightly so, Jesus says, if you just give, I just keep giving you food, you're going to think that's all this is about. So I'm not just going to give you food. I'm not just going to give you what you think that you need, because what you actually is me. The miracle is me. It's Jesus. It's his death and resurrection. It's his body that was broken for us. It's blood that was shed for our sins. That is the miracle. That is what we need to pursue. That is what we need to go after. I got this concept from an old song that I grew up um, singing. Maybe some of you know this. Is anybody, is it just me? I just want to know. Uh, this is a little poll. You might be like, I've never heard this before. The song goes, I seek the giver, not the gift. You ever heard that one? My heart's desire is to lift you high above all earthly things to bring you pleasure, Lord. Have you heard that one? Hallelujah. It's a good one. I remember singing that at the altar as a young man and not understanding it. But as I was studying this passage, those words and that song came back to my spirit. 
Jesus calls out to them, saying that their motive to follow is the blessing that he gives and not the blessing himself. He is kindly and truthfully saying that the gift of himself is greater than any natural blessing that you could receive. In John 6, 58, says, This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus is trying to pull the view of the listener from the temporal to the eternal. From what we can see right now to what we know in eternity. Now, how many know that any physical blessing or challenge that we experience pales in comparison to the spiritual blessing that we have? In Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, it says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 22, Jesus answers them, saying, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink of the bitter cup and suffering that I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied, We are able. And Jesus told them, You will indeed drink from the bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit at my right hand or my left. My Father's prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. The things that we face today are nothing in comparison to the glory that we will receive in eternity with Christ. Any physical blessing we experience ought to point our attention to the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus. So here's three thoughts for you as we close today. When you seek the giver and not the gift, there's three things I believe that you will experience in your life and you can know as well. Number one, when you seek the giver and not the gift, you can know that he can supply your needs. Jesus cares about the details. The Bible tells us that he sees if a sparrow falls to the ground, that he numbers the hairs of your head. And in Philippians chapter 419, we are told, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Psalm 107 verse 9 says, For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Church, when I'm talking about seeking the giver and not the gift, I'm not saying that he's not going to give you gifts. James says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow or turning. We've experienced this in our lives. There's a story that my kids often tell about um, one day, this is probably about 10 years back, probably, babe. It was about 10 years. We were back, and we were, we were kind of going through a really, little bit of a tough time financially, and it was tough to buy groceries. How many can experience, have experienced that today? Tough to buy groceries? Come on. And, um, and so we, didn't, we, we were trying to figure out how we were going to get by, and it was challenging. It was, it, was, it was a hard time. And that morning, we gathered our kids together before they left for school, and we prayed. And we said, God, please provide for our needs, we ask in Jesus' name. And we all prayed together. And that day, I was at the office, and I got a call from my wife, and she said, Matt, you won't believe this. We got home today, and I opened the mailbox, and there was two gift cards for groceries that are going to supply our needs for the next two weeks. And we said, praise the Lord. And then she looked at the kids and said, you remember we prayed this morning? And they said, yeah, we remember that. And so now, for the rest of their lives, that's a memory in their minds of how God provided for our needs. See, this is the thing. God is he's not saying, I'm not going to provide your needs. He said, I'm able to do it, but that's not the thing. That's part of it. I'm going to supply your needs. He is able to do it. He will supply your needs. I have never seen the righteous begging for bread. Amen? God can supply your needs. But that's not what we're after. That's not what we go after. So number one, we know that he can supply our needs. Number two, when you seek the giver and not the gift, your identity is secure in him. 
Psalm uh, uh, chapter 14, verse 26, I read this all the time. It's one of my favorites. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. Come on. We can know that we are secure in Christ. We don't need a certain position. We don't need to go after something in this worldly system in order for us to feel satisfied or fulfilled because our satisfaction and our fulfillment is found in Jesus. Amen? Paul talks about it this way. He says, listen, I've learned to, to, to abound, whether I'm abounding or abased, to learn, I've learned how to be content in all things. That's because of the secret of knowing him. That's the secret of knowing him. You can have a lot, you can have a little, but if you know Jesus, you've got everything you need. Amen? Oh, we're quiet today. You can have everything you need. You can be secure in who you are in Christ. That means that whatever your relationship status, you can be secure in who you are in Christ. I'm going to speak prophetically here because someday I believe we're going to have this place filled with young people. So I'm going to speak to them right now. If you are a young person and you're watching this online or you're here in the place and you're saying, I just need this person to like fulfill me and satisfy me and I'll find my identity in them. You know, there's that classic movie, You Complete Me. You ever heard that one? Come on, let me tell you something, young person. If you are looking for your identity in another person, you will not find it because you will only find your identity in him. And if you want to find somebody, if you're a young woman and you're looking for a young man, who is a man of God, this is what I would encourage you to do. Be a woman of God. Find your identity in him. And then as you're pursuing Jesus, you're going to look beside you, and there's going to be somebody running just as hard as you after him, and that's your person. Young man, if you want to find a woman of God, you be a man of God. You rise up, and you live in that identity that Christ has given you. You seek him first, and all these things will be added to you as well. You find your identity in Jesus. It's not your stage of life. It's not your, what, what you're called. It's, it's not your title. It's Jesus. It's Christ in you. Amen? So number one, you know that he can supply your needs when you seek the giver and not the gift. Okay, that just goes without saying. Number two, your identity is secure in him. You know who you are in Christ. And you can be confident in that. Okay? And then number three, you can be assured that he is able to satisfy the deep hunger of your soul. Church, there's something deeper than natural hunger. There's something in the heart of man that is always longing for more and more and more. And we try to fill that longing with money, with power, and with fame. We try to fill that, 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 that longing with relationships and, 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 and vehicles and, and, and electric cars and, 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 and houses and, and all these other things. And we try to fill it, and it never satisfies. That's what Jesus is trying to say. You can eat all this stuff all you want to, and it's not going to satisfy you because I am the one who can satisfy your soul. Do you believe that today? You can know that. Psalms 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Come on, Isaiah 58, verse 11. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Why? Because Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because you're pursuing the giver, not the gift. You're going after the things of God because you recognize that that which satisfied is not the things of this world, but it's his things. It's the things of God. Amen? 
Philippians 4.11, you read it this morning, come on. Not that, I've ever, was, not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or without everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is full stomach or empty, whether with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. This is what Jesus is saying. Psalm 37, verse 4, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And then finally, Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Come on. Church, the call this morning, the challenge to you to take home is will you seek the giver? Will you seek the giver? I know I've shared this so many times, but it's so powerful to me. Matthew 6, our life's verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. And as a kid, I tried to game the system. I thought, okay, I figured this out. This book is a code book. My life is going to be about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and that's how I'm going to get all the stuff because all these things will be added to me as well, right? So if I just seek first, I'm going to get all the stuff that I ever wanted. I'm going to get the house. I'm going to get the car. I'm going to get all the things. So I'm going to game the system. I'm going to go after him until I recognized and had an encounter with the Spirit of God, and I realized that the real secret to that passage is not the second part, but the first part, which is seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And that's where the satisfaction is, and that's where the joy is, and that's where it's all at. Oh, and by the way, all these things... They'll be added. They'll come. But this is the best part right here. This is the part that I'm going after. This stuff's going to come, but this is what I'm going after. I'm going after Jesus. And his goodness is running after me. His mercy is following after me every, all the days of my life as I seek his face. Church, would we be God chasers? Will we be people who go after his presence and not his blessings? The blessings will come. It's a promise of God. But he is the ultimate blessing. And his name is Jesus. I'm going to invite my beautiful wife to come up to the front. Get on the piano today. And I just have a question for you today. And the question is this. Do you believe that Jesus is enough for you. Do you believe that Jesus is enough for you? As we're meditating on that question today, I'd like to invite those that are serving communion to come forward. Obviously, it's fitting today that in light of what we've just read, that we take some communion together. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I wonder if after hearing that passage today. Disciples are all hearing Jesus. 
saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. But I'm not talking about just physical things. I'm talking about spiritual things. I'm talking about something that is beyond what you recognize and see right now. I'm talking about a sacrifice that I'm going to make for all of humanity. And it's part of the reason why I'm being so harsh right now with these ones, because they want to make me into a king, but it's not my time yet. But if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. See, everything in his life was geared toward this one moment where he would pay the ultimate price for you and for me. And I wonder, as the disciples were sitting there at the Passover meal before Jesus was crucified, as they're sitting in the upper room, and Jesus looks at them and says, Hey, here's some bread. Take and eat this. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup in the same way. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. I wonder if there was a moment where the light bulb started to go on. Oh, that's what he's talking about. They still didn't even fully understand it because they hadn't experienced it yet. But it's remembering the fact there is a God who loved us enough to come in the flesh, take all of our foibles and sins upon himself, and yet live without sin, and then die a horrible death, a sinner's death on the cross for you and for me, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Life Church, this is the bread that comes from heaven. His name is Jesus.